Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Enterprising Gen Z Podcast. My name is Sam Watson. I'm an 18-year-old entrepreneur from North London. I've got some really exciting news to share with you all. I've just launched my new business, Enterprising Gen Z Events. I'm not going to say too much now, but if you want to stay up to date with the latest news about my new venture, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and follow my progress there. On today's show, I'm talking to Drew Gillen, who's the CEO and co-founder of Abyss. On this episode, we're going to be talking about what cryptocurrency actually is, why Drew started his business, and the importance of finding a good co-founder. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Drew, how are you doing? Good, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. So as I mentioned in the introduction, you're the CEO and co-founder of Abyss. Do you want to tell everybody a bit more about what Abyss is and what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Drew Gillen. I'm from uh, Rhode Island on the East Coast in the United States, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Abyss. It's a uh, it's a crypto startup, and um, we trade cryptocurrency and aggregate data from cryptocurrency exchanges. So we focus on the data side of cryptocurrency as well as building tools for cryptocurrency as well. So over the past few years, crypto has been really relevant. It's been in the news a lot. Um, I read about it most days. Um, I often see it come up on my newsfeed uh, on my phone. Can you give a really, really dumbed down approach of what crypto actually is and how it can be used? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, at the at the most fundamental level, I would say cryptocurrency is it's a security similar to in in the stock market. So you could buy a share of, uh, say, Apple stock, for example, and that, that same structure applies in the cryptocurrency markets. But even to go even higher level than that, um, to talk more about trading, uh, tr- the trading of cryptocurrency is it's the same as buying a uh, buying like a goods or service from, say, like a supermarket, for example. So uh, if you go into the supermarket and you want to buy a box of cereal, you normally trade some type of fiat currency like um, United States dollars or pounds or whatever it may be for the box of cereal. And then you swap um, your money, your fiat currency for that asset. And that that structure of going in and buying um, buying a good exists in cryptocurrency in the stock market as well. But with, with cryptocurrencies, uh, at the base layer, you can trade so fiat currencies for... Um, for like say Bitcoin, for example, and you buy a small percentage of Bitcoin for some USD and that's kind of how that exists. But that that's at the most um, fundamental level. And then you, there's multiple layers built on top of that. Does, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's perfect. Thank you. Okay. Um, so let's jump right into what Abyss actually is. What do you guys do? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, so we what, what we do is we're, uh, I guess you could call us like a fintech crypto startup. So as I was mentioning earlier, um, in in the stock market, you have all these different type of exchanges. You have like the New York Stock Exchange, the Nasdaq, the London Stock Exchange, and in cryptocurrency, you have this same um, structure as well. So you have exchanges like Coinbase, Binance, FTX, and Kraken. And what we do is we kind of sit on top of all these exchanges and we track all the transactions taking place. So the buyers and the sellers, we aggregate and process all this data. So whenever there's a sell or a buy for Bitcoin on say Binance, we have access to this data data and we aggregate it and process it and then send it to our clients and our users. So there are loads of great uh, softwares for monitoring, buying and selling cryptocurrencies um, like eToro, for example. Um, I've had a bit of experience trading on there with, you know, pretty limited success. Um, what made you want to start Abyss? Yeah, great question. Um, so it was, it was a, I guess you could say it was a gradual process. To give you a little bit of a background on myself um 
I'm, tw- I'm 22 years old. And I, when I was in college, I started my first business. I was doing e-commerce advertising, uh, starting an e-commerce advertising agency, doing drop shipping. And um, then COVID hit. And then ultimately there was conflicts between um, the people I was working with. So it, it ultimately didn't work out. And But ever since that period of early high school and in college, I was always interested in finance. And my co-founder was too. We were trading on uh, trading on Robinhood, TD Ameritrade, getting interested in um, how the stock market works and, and things like that. And so I, after my first company didn't ultimately work out, we were, we started looking into figuring out how we could set up algorithmic trading. Because um, with us, one thing that we noticed is that our emotions always tend to get in the way of our trades. So we wanted to figure out a way to remove our emotions um, from the process and figure out a way to like algorithmically and systematically design a system where we could always make money. Um, we haven't figured that out yet, but through that process of trying to figuring out how algorithmic trading works, we realized that we need data to power our algorithms. So we had these this like structure and how to execute trades and stuff, but we needed the data to actually power that or else the algorithm wouldn't work. So that led us down the rabbit hole of figuring out, okay, where can we get data? We looked into the ability to get data for the stock market, and we looked into the ability to get data from the cryptocurrency markets as well. Uh, and we found that there was a, there was a need or there was a gap for actually getting the data in the cryptocurrency market. So um, we figured if like we needed we had a problem, and if we could build a product to solve our problem and then sell it to other people too, then we could make a decent amount of money and solve our own problem in the process. So that's kind of how everything unraveled, I guess you could say. I think something important I think we should touch upon is a more practical aspect of starting a business, which is actually what, what were the first kind of steps you took for starting Abyss? So the, I guess from, from the legal perspective, we had to create an LLC in um, our state and set up a business entity in the state to pay taxes and blah, 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 I'll do a lot of uh, boring stuff. Um, but from a more like practical standpoint, it was it was, re- it was really touch and go. We were, we were kind of exploring because I, I always knew that I wanted to have a business. Um, my, my mom has her own business. So there's entrepreneurship. I guess, embedded in, in our family a little bit. So we wanted to figure out, well, I wanted to figure out how, how can I make money doing things that I love, that I'm interested in. And um, I've always been interested in, like I said, like finance. So I wanted to figure out a way to make money in finance and, and well, not just finance, but in technology too. I've always enjoyed working with computers. It's really interesting that you mentioned your mom being an entrepreneur. Um, do you think your mother's entrepreneurial journey potentially spurred you on to becoming an entrepreneur yourself? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I've seen my grandparents grow up making like minimum wage, hating their jobs, like dreading to go to work. My father too, he works, um, for the government or the, this, our state and he didn't, he, he never loved his job. He never loved what he was doing. And I saw my mom and she, she loved what she was doing. She uh, enjoyed waking up, going to work. Whereas some of my other family members dreaded it. And I didn't want to spend my life, uh, working nine to five for a paycheck. I wanted to do something that I would love doing, even if I didn't make any money in the process. So I know that it can be sometimes, um, a bit like a personal crusade to get your first few users um when you're a software how did you attract users and how did you kind of uh start or propel your growth yeah it's uh a crusade is a great example of, of what it is um we're so we we launched to give you a little bit of background we launched our our I guess you could say like our our website and our 
product at the beginning of the year, and so like January of 2022, and it's it's April now, and we have about 30 30 users in our in our database, I guess you could say, and then um, we have 150 monthly active users on our site. So the, the process of getting there, uh, there there's a lot of different approaches, but what I found is that uh, through a combination of like sales and marketing. Um, you'll get the best results. So originally what we started doing was direct outreach, one-to-one sales using like leveraging social media platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, so uh, probably LinkedIn was our, our best, most successful one so far, just going out and messaging 50 people a day on LinkedIn or signing up for LinkedIn Sales Navigator and try to message bigger uh, business enterprise clients through that and just building up those connections, messaging those people, and then posting content too onto um, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. And this is something that we're still working on. I would say our sales and marketing is definitely our biggest weakness right now. And it's something that we're looking to, to fix and grow in, 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 the, in the future because it can really make or break your business if you don't have a good marketing um, plan in place. So then in terms of the way you marketed Abyss, what do you think you did well? And what, what in hindsight, what would you look back on and, and try and improve that? I, honestly, I would improve everything. I mean... Um, but what what we've done well, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know what we've done well because we haven't we haven't cracked the formula quite yet. It's it's really it, everything that we do is an iterative process. So like we we set out with an idea, we try to accomplish it, and in the process we we almost always fail at some point, and then we reflect on our failures and try to figure out how we can improve them. And it's just a loop. And um, so there's multiple failures in our in our marketing strategy, our sales strategy, and we got to figure out like where are the gaps, reflect on. Them, and figure out how we can iterate and make it better and move forward. But maybe the, the best thing that I would say that we've done so far is probably the idea of reusability. So if we make, for example, let's say we write or make a YouTube video, well, normally what we'll do is put together like some type of script for a YouTube video. And then if we could reuse that script and then write a blog post about it and post it onto our website, then and then take that YouTube video too and, and clip it down and post clips, like reuse the, the whole YouTube video, post clips of that content onto like TikTok or YouTube shorts or Instagram. That all we have to do is create one script, one YouTube video, and then we can post that, repost that content on five different social media platforms. And then take the, the best parts of the script too, or the blog post, and then post it onto Twitter and LinkedIn. And so the, the idea of reusability across not only our product side of engineering and everything, but as well as our marketing strategy as well. It saves us a lot of time in everything that we do. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you say there, actually. I read this fascinating book. I would recommend it to anybody, whether you work in business or not. It's called Decisive. It's about making the correct decisions. There was a concept in there which um, I found fascinating. It's called ooching. It's kind of doing small-scale investigations to test uh, what works best. So, for example, with the marketing for my podcast, I post lots of different content on socials, on lots of different social medias to really understand what gets the most interactions and what will help me grow my podcast. And I think that's a really important lesson is, um, you know, testing. Um, I didn't get it right first time. If I look back at the first few things I posted, they were really boring. Um, and now where I've, where I've moved to since doing the ooching, you could say, um, is completely different. Now, my next question is is slightly different, and I haven't really asked this before on this show, and it's about why, what is the best bit about being an entrepreneur, specifically a young entrepreneur? 
Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's uh, prob- probably the best thing would be the time component, right? We have the time to fail. We have the time to make mistakes and then recover from them. Um, I mean, I'm 22, so if, if I'm thinking on like a decade scale, uh, I could do a lot within the next 10 years compared to what I can do in the next one year. So utilizing my time and working as hard as I can and then learning how to work smart through working hard. It's like a, it's a, it's a compounding cycle. So the harder I work, the smarter I'm able to work because I put in more hours and I figure out what works, what doesn't work. Like you were just saying about your digital marketing strategy, it's kind of touch and go. You have to fail to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And then once you find what works by putting in the time, you just do it over and over and over again and it compounds and it will grow your, grow whatever you're doing. Um, so easily hands down is it's the, it's the time component having, being able to, I, I, I read something, uh, I think Anthony Pompliano, he's a, he's a crypto guy. Um, he was talking about the concept of a time billionaire. Um, you have like a billion, uh, if you're under, I, I forget the exact age, under 25, something like that, you'll have, you have like a billion minutes or a billion seconds left in your life. So right now I'm, I'm could be considered a, a time billionaire if I make it uh, into my late eighties or whatever it may be. So it's that, it's that whole concept of, just being able to fail, being able to make mistakes and still having the time to recover and grow as a person and grow your business too. You touched on this earlier. I'd quite like to circle back to it, actually. Um, you mentioned that a previous business of yours failed because you chose the wrong co-founder. Um, I speak to a variety of solo solopreneurs, I think they're called, um, people who, who start a business venture themselves um, and, and people who co-found businesses. It obviously... Um, a co-founder in in that case was the reason why the business didn't make it what were the mistakes that you think you made in in choosing the the wrong co-founder because obviously having having a co it really limits your success if you choose the wrong co-founder um what what were the mistakes you made in in choosing choosing that person yeah there i mean there were there were a lot of mistakes there it was kind of walking in blind um not knowing because at at that point in time I didn't know anything about leadership I didn't know anything about management but what really did that whole business in was um well it was bad timing uh so we were doing e-commerce and everything and then COVID hit and our shipping times increased so because of that our revenue dropped we went into the negatives we started owing money and so when money is tight and you're losing money month after month um disagreements will occur as to how, how to handle those problems amongst our co-founders. And there was a group of four of us who kind of started this business and um, two of them didn't really, well, well yeah, it, it was a, I, I don't, uh, how can I best explain this? It was, it was difficult. We were losing money. We, di- we didn't know how to solve the problem. Um, the business required more capital than we would like to put into it. We weren't making any profit. We barely had any revenue and it, it was, we didn't know how to handle, we didn't have a system to handle disagreements. We didn't have a, I didn't have enough leadership experience. Um, I didn't have enough management experience to actually figure out how to solve those problems. Um, and my, the, the co-founders on my team didn't either. There was the, it was the first business that they've ever created that we've ever done anything like that before. Um, so it was, it was difficult. In hindsight, do you think that business would have survived if it was just you managing it on your own? <sighs> Probably not. It was it was a bad business model. At the at the end of the day, the business model wouldn't have scaled well. Um, the, what's really tricky about the service business, and this is something that I've learned from my mom too, is that when you're not selling a product, you can't scale your sales as easily as you can because in as a service business, you trade your time for money, and you only have so much time. So if you could build a product. 
um, that takes you maybe 10 hours to build and then you can sell it to 100 people, you can make more money than um, giving giving 10 hours of your time to 100 people. It'd be, it's less time, com- uh, less, less of a time constraint. Yeah, I think that's really valid and really important. I was speaking to Anna, uh, who's quite a few episodes now, actually, the founder or the co-founder of Fighter Shots, and she illustrated the importance of finding the right co-founder. Can, can I give you a, p- a piece of advice on that too, like finding a co-founder? Because from from that last business that we had, there was there was four of us kind of co-founding it. And now this new one, it's I mean, my co-founder, Zach. And to help you find a co-founder, anyone else out there that's looking to, to, to work with someone to create a business, what you have to do is... Um, from like a high level, look at your strengths and your weaknesses, both yours and your co-founders. And if you can find someone where, uh, for example, my we- my weaknesses is programming and development. And that's something that my co-founder does is excellent at. He's uh, a programming genius, you could say. So you have to like fill in each other's gaps. So where you, where I'm weak, he has to be strong and, and vice versa. And you can do that from looking like analytically looking at their strengths and weaknesses. And something else too is that's interesting that I've learned about recently is the idea of like using a personality test. Um, if you can find someone with uh, a different type of person, because people have different personalities. And um, so if you can look at your personality types and figure out how we can uh, like analytically fill in our gaps and our strengths and weaknesses and grow something and put a a system in place to make sure things don't fall apart, then that will help you immensely with building a business and finding a co-founder too. You just have to look at from a high level those things and how everything fits together. You mentioned success there. And in my experience, there's a couple of ways of managing success. There's a data-driven approach where you look at purely numbers and quantitative information, or there's more of a holistic way of looking at success. Do you think a data-driven approach to success or a holistic uh, approach to success is, is is more important? That's a great question. You have to it's you have to do it intuitively, right? That that's the that's the best way I think you can do it. You have to you absolutely need to go about it from a data-driven approach, but you also have to go about it as like a uh, an intuitive approach too, because you, but the data has to has to match your intuition. You could say you use the data to power the intuition into the direction that you're going into. Um, that's that's probably the, the best way to do it, I would, in my opinion. So Abyss now has five employees. How did you? What was your recruitment process in terms of finding the best team to propel your startup? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so when finding when finding employees, I, I think probably the the best thing that you can do is have people on your team that share the same values as you. Um, so you want to go in the same direction, whatever it is that you're doing, they have to have that share the same values as you so you can grow as a whole. And then on top of that too, whenever you're bringing new people onto your team, they should uh, they should bring new abilities to the table. So for example, like I was saying earlier, my weaknesses right now are sales and marketing. So the next person that we bring onto our team Ideally, they, they 100% should share the same values as the team and bring in new abilities to help where we're weak, whether it be with sales or marketing. And it, it's that combination of the two. You got to you have to like build an you have to build an A team. You have to find people who are the best at what they do. Sometimes they don't always have to have experience, but they absolutely should always share the same values as you. If they if they don't, then problems will occur. And if they can bring new abilities to the table too, then that will help your business exponent, exponentially. So we've touched on what Abyss is doing now quite a lot. Um, I'd really like to know where Abyss is going in the future. Um, what is Abyss going to do next? 
Yeah, great question. So the, f- the future is looking bright. I mean, the, the cryptocurrency industry as a whole is growing at the same rate comparable to the internet back in the early 90s. So if we continue down this trajectory, um, we could be looking at like a billion users in cryptocurrency within the next 10 years, for example. So what we... what what we're trying to do is position ourselves in for that next wave of growth to hit or, or as the wave begins to pick up. And so what we're doing right now is we're basically focused 100% on the data side of things within cryptocurrency. Like I said earlier, we're aggregating data from uh, 100, it's 118 cryptocurrency exchanges. And we have all this data. So what we're going to do now is now that we have this data, we're going to build tools on how to analyze and view from a high level the way money is moving in and out of the market. Um, and then after the tools, what I think the most interesting thing is going to be is the way digital wallets are going to work with cryptocurrency. I think the there's going to be a huge market for digital wallets, especially being able to operate directly on the blockchain. And so I'm, I'm really interested in the way that's going to play out in the future. And I think that's something that is going to grow exponentially as well with the cryptocurrency market. So to, to iterate again, we're going to double down on our data, build tools to analyze that data and make the cryptocurrency market easier to use, easier to learn about and analyze money and everything, and then build in some type of digital wallet component where uh, people can use to trade uh, money across the world. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Enterprising Gen Z podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening from. It really, really helps. Also, as I mentioned in the introduction, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, have a chat. I can give you some advice. And also you can stay up to date with the latest enterprising Gen Z events news. It's really exciting. I'm super stoked for where it's going to go. I'll see you next week with another fantastic episode. Thank you so much. Goodbye.